This podcast uses adult language. I'm Kevin. And I'm Elizabeth. And this is the Less Than 83 podcast. All right, welcome back, Elizabeth. Hey, Kevin. Uh, so like last week, we were talking about having this episode be about partner selection, asking people out, and flirting. Yeah. So kind of the large umbrella of like trying to meet people and trying and expressing your interest in them and like how to try to make that work. Cool. Let's start with what you and I are probably the most familiar with is dating within the polyamorous community. So we have a pretty strong local polyamorous community here. It provides you at least the removal of one barrier of knowing whether the person is at all interested in non-monogamy. Yeah. Not everybody that comes out to our groups and uh, meetings are polyamorous. Some people are other types of, uh, in other types of ethically, ethically non-monogamous relationships. But then we have people that are also just want to be allies or people who are interested but not sure. Mm-hmm. So, you know, one of the hard things out in regular everyday world is the social default is monogamy. Yeah. Trying to date within the polyamorous community, like I was saying, kind of avoids the pitfalls of some of that. So what has your experience been dating in the poly community? Pretty positive, for one thing. Uh, I definitely find it's easier to date within the polyamorous community rather than outside of it because, like you said, that barrier is already removed. You know that everybody there at least understands the basic concept of polyamory, you know? So it's a good start. I find that within the polyamorous community, there's usually a lot of crossover with other communities that I'm yeah. part of, like the kink community and the pagan community and the queer community. So there's so much crossover that I find lots of people that I have a lot of things in common with. And there's a lot of crossover at events, local events within these communities. You know, I see polyamorous people in all of these communities. So, yeah, yeah, a lot of crossover, a lot of cool people. I mostly will, like, if I meet someone at at a poly event and I think they're cute and I want to talk a little bit, then I'll introduce myself at the event and then maybe we'll exchange, like, you know, uh, your Facebook username or, or whatever, like with some website or maybe phone numbers and then we'll you know, chat from there. And I think that's pretty standard when it comes to dating. One method is online polyamory groups. Yeah. But of course, like DMing somebody immediately is not recommended. You know, you want to get to know each other in a group setting first, usually. Um, And this isn't dungeon mastering. This is direct messaging. Yeah, direct messaging. Sorry. (laughs) Or PMing, private messaging. Yeah, whatever. Yeah. So there are different ways to like pursue someone. And I know that especially if straight white cis males, there's a a feeling that you have to uh, diminish your what might come off as aggressive or scary in some way because, you know, you've got physical differentiations and there's like a power differential in our society. And so it's good to be mindful of those things. My husband says the same stuff. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, uh, there are definitely different ways to like talk to people, new friends in the polyamorous community. I find that like I mostly date my friends. Yeah. Um, I make most of my friends are within these communities that I've mentioned. And those friendships often evolve into something else. And I think that's great because then I already have a foundation of like we know each other, you know? Yeah. And often they've dated my friends. So (laughs) there's like a vetting process kind of where you know each other. And it's not like the monogamous community where it's taboo to date your friend's exes because in the polyamorous community. We don't have that luxury. We don't have that luxury. Yeah. We are all each other's exes. Like 
I, I have tons of, you know, metamors or former metamors or whatever. And like, we've all kind of dated the same people or each other. <laughs> so, yeah. so you kind of have to just accept that the boundaries are different. Yeah, a little bit. And I've heard similar things about the LGBT community, maybe more so in recent past than nowadays in the city we live. There's a pretty active and thriving LGBTQIA plus community. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, the poly community is significantly smaller mm -hmm. uh, than that community, at least like in the events that I participate in. Yeah, like publicly. Uh, so one thing I wanted to talk about is like, so outside of the poly community, trying to date in the default world, you know, we'll, we'll cover online dating, which is really, really popular right now Yeah. Uh, in a little bit. But first I wanted to talk about this. There, there are definitely considerations that you should make mm -hmm. um, trying to flirt with somebody who you're unsure of whether they're okay with what's going on. Yeah. I've heard a lot of cautionary tales of friends who started flirting with somebody, knew that they were already in an established relationship, and it turns out the person wanted to be in an affair, mm. you know, cheating on their partner, yeah. and were upset or offended that they were being proposed a polyamorous relationship. Mm. I've definitely had similar things happen. Um, I've had a lot of friends come to me, unfortunately, and say things like, you know, um, you're polyamorous, so you would you must understand such and such. And it's usually a story about them cheating or having sex with someone that they knew that was cheating on their relationship. And that's not cool. And that's not the same thing as polyamory because the big difference is honesty yeah. and consent. And so an affair is a secret. Yeah, and nobody can consent to what they don't know about. Exactly. And that's not the, you know, in a monogamous context, that's not the agreement. And so in a polyamorous context, it's, it's different. And so, yeah, um, when it comes to like the default world and dating and kind of approaching people, I don't really do it a lot, honestly, because of so many of these kind of barriers. I find that polyamory is becoming a more acceptable idea yeah. in the mainstream for sure. Like once I explain the first couple basics to people, they kind of go, oh, okay. You know, it may not be for them, but they kind of have maybe heard of it yeah, or maybe have thought about it, you know? And so it can be tricky. Yeah. Online dating is a whole separate creature, but in the real world, I, I think one thing that polyamorous people worry about a lot is like, how soon at one point in the flirting do I tell this new person that I'm polyamorous, right? Yeah. And most people who are poly and have been for a long time say, you know, as soon as possible, usually, like right away. Um, I put it on all my profiles very upfront, like if I'm on a dating website so that people know immediately. And if I meet someone at a bar or something or an event that isn't a polyamorous event, then I tell them immediately, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And like just for my two cents. Yeah. If I, me personally, it's on my profiles like you, I'm very, very out, but I have sympathy for people who aren't out themselves yes. or just trying to figure it out. And so they don't really understand the social rules. And so I would advise people to try to tell somebody, you know, before the first date, I don't personally think there's a huge ethical violation in going through a whole first date, especially if you don't feel like you want a second date mm -hmm. to spill your guts out and say mm -hmm. like, Hey, I'm in a polyamorous relationship, but I would take pause at doing anything more than a first date. Yeah. 
am not talking about it. And if you do that or you feel like that's necessary, realize that experienced polyamorous people are going to see that as a red flag. Yeah. They might consider it such a breach of trust that they aren't willing to continue dating you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But at the same time, some people aren't going to find that as bad. You know, if you're in an area where it's particularly dangerous or like socially or otherwise to be out, then I feel like you have a little bit more room to play with. But there are ways of like when you're doing online dating, anonymizing yourself a little bit so you can be a little bit more open. Shall we talk about online dating? Yeah, yeah. So that'd be a good segue into online dating. I used to do it a whole lot. I have for the most part stopped recently. Like we talked about, you know, I went through a breakup. And so like I kicked on a few of the apps, but I have outside of when I was in my early 20s and maybe a little bit into my mid 20s, have not had any success with online dating. Mm, I end up spending a lot of time and never get a response. Yeah. I definitely have a couple comments about that. I have also quite a bit of experience with online dating. I've had consistent profiles on online dating websites for like probably 10 years, mostly OkCupid. There are also specifically poly apps and websites such as Open is an app. Open. Yeah. Open Minded is a website that is poly specific, et cetera. So, you know, there are a few different options out there. And obviously, like the dating world is full of a mixture of different kinds of people. So there are other poly people out there. But online dating is very tricky. For me, the experience has been mostly at matching with my friends, like People I already know, people I don't necessarily have chemistry with, but I do know them and they're often in the poly community. So, so I just match with my friends like over and over. That's, that's a lot of it. And, you know, it's because they're local and it's because we have similar views about a lot of things. So the algorithms match us. Right. Um, and I, I don't think I've, I think maybe in 10 years, I've probably been on one date as a result of online dating, maybe two, but probably one. It's not been very successful for me. Like I said earlier, I mostly date within the polyamorous community like IRL. And it's harder for men because the dating world is all about like pursuing women. Yeah. And men are, they have to like really stand out in a unique way to get attention. And I know that that's hard for like all my male friends. They feel like there's no real there aren't really options for them the same way that there are for women so i've seen effectively what ends up happening in most if not all dating apps there's this feedback loop of you know from my experience being a guy go try to do the thing of reading through somebody's profile determine whether i'm interested in them trying to find something on their profile that i feel like i can comment in a way that'll stick out because i don't want to just send someone hey Yeah. That's probably not going to get responded to at all. And then doing that over and over and over and over again. It's a lot of work. And so you see men get discouraged by that and just try a shotgun approach where they swipe right, they message every single person they can with the same or similar things over and over and over again, hoping to get one. Mm -hmm. And the flip side of that uh, in heterosexual uh, pairings, women getting lots of inane, repetitive. not repetitive, not tied to their interests at all mm-hmm. messages. And so going on, seeing a flood of inboxes, you know, 
maybe reply to one or two people who really stand out to you and then not responding to anybody ever again. It's a weird system that hasn't worked for me. Yeah. At least recently. Yeah. Well, it hasn't really worked for me either. And I'm on the flip side in a lot of ways. So it's really tricky. I don't really know what the solution is when it comes to online dating. I doubt it's any more successful for monogamous people. That's why I tend to date in the community, you know? So it's it's hard for sure. I find that real life events are the best ways to meet people because you can click in person Yes, and you can have a natural conversation and you're not fighting these algorithms the way we are on Tinder. So yeah, it's hard. So my general advice to people would be try to be kind and thoughtful. Yeah. And if you find someone interesting, like approach them. You know, if you are someone who is used to always being pursued, Mm -hmm. try at some point to step outside your comfort zone and talk to somebody. It's really intimidating and like has gotten steadily easier with age. You know, Mm -hmm. I've been dating since I was 14 or so. (laughs) And so that's a long time I've been spending developing those skills and occasionally getting turned down but I've been turned down very few times, but I'm also pretty picky and try to go after people I think might be interested in me. Yeah. And that whole process is a weird, not quite exact science. For sure. It's it's all about trying to feel out a situation and approaching somebody in a way that you feel like is going to respect them and their time. So maybe we should go through some of the definite no-nos. Like, Yeah, just real quick. Yeah, Um, go for it. I think that what you said is great, and I agree with stepping outside of your comfort zone. As a woman, uh, especially a woman who dates other women, too, it can be tricky for different reasons because there's like this phenomenon among queer women that we have a really hard time approaching each other because Mm -hmm. we've been taught by society that men do the approaching. And if there's no man in the scenario, then like who does the approaching? Yeah. So that's one reason that queer women don't approach each other. And... um, You know, it can be hard for women to approach men, too, because we've been taught, again, that men do the approaching. But I've been definitely the assertive party in almost all of my relationships, and I like it that way. If I'm interested in someone, I let them know. And... You know, I'm not pushy. I'm, we'll talk about some no-nos in a second, but yeah. but I generally make myself very clear, you know, and express my interest. And if they're not interested, that's totally fine. But like you, I have not been turned down many times. Yeah. And I think that shooting your shot will often get you places that you just didn't expect. Yep. Yeah, I never see, I don't, you know, ascribe to that whole idea of like in my league, out of my league. I, if someone is interesting to me, then... I asked them out and the worst thing that they can say is, no, I guess the worst thing they can say is like, fuck you. I'm never talking to you ever <laughs> I've again. I've never seen that happen though. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, and, you know, what you're saying definitely rings true in my experiences, watching my partners trying to flirt. Yeah. I've watched my partners try to flirt with both women and men mm-hmm. and watching two people who you've heard independently are interested in each other and who have both been told that the other one is interested and watching them not be able to like one person make that step is infuriating to yeah. me. It's like, just do the one thing. It's really hard. It's hard. It's really intimidating and I get it, but you, at some point you got to try. You do. It's true. The worst thing they can say out. is no. Yeah. I'm in a Facebook group called make a move. You useless sapphic because, <laughs> because it's such a trope 
that queer women, like, especially have a hard time approaching each other? I would be so pleased. I, I was thinking back in the setup to recording this episode of like, had I ever been approached and asked out on a date? And to my memory, and if you know me personally, mm-hmm. let me know if I'm misremembering. <laughs> to my memory, I don't remember a single time. Wow. You know, it's, I've dated a lot of people. Yeah, yeah. In my lifetime. You know, it's, I've dated well over 30 people mm-hmm. in my entire life. And to never of any of those been approached, I think causes a little bit of a complex at times. Of mm-hmm. Like, oh, what, like, what is my value? Am I interesting? Are people only saying yes because of X, Y, or Z factor? Mm-hmm. It's Yeah, I understand. Anyways, so on to the things that are not acceptable. Yeah. Don't mess with people or ask them out on a date if they're working. Yeah. They're being nice to you because they're paid to do so more often than not. And it's it's not a good thing. If you were going to do that, the only way I would think it's ethical is to do so like written piece of paper in a location that's not like somewhere you return to is like, hey, if you are interested, here's my phone number. That is the only thing I could think of. And even that I feel like is a little in poor taste yeah. and can put someone on a, in, the, in a spot of discomfort. I agree. And there's a power differential there. And it's important to think about because if someone is at work, they're trapped. Yeah. And they're literally, you know, in danger of losing their job if they're not nice to you. Yeah. And so this happens a lot with female baristas and male customers or, you know, I worked in strip clubs for four years and... Uh, I had couples come in a lot and look, they were looking for a unicorn. Mm -hmm. They really thought that they were going to be able to take a stripper home. And uh, it's not common. So don't think that that's a thing. It's not. Um, There are other types of sex workers that are willing to do that. Hire a sex worker. Yeah. Hire a sex worker. Hire a full service sex worker. You know, there are ways to do that. There are ways to find, uh, you know, a third for a threesome that don't involve <laughs> a stripper anyway, or a barista. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Don't don't mess with people while they're at work. I agree with you completely on that. Uh, so I'll say that were other things that you feel like are bad form in dating, like being too pushy, I think is definitely one Go asking somebody over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. Recently, I did a dumb thing and asked someone who I'd had a brunch with a month ago and who had told me during that brunch, like, oh, I'm not dating right now. It's a month later. I completely forgot. And mm-hmm. I asked them out and they're like, oh, hey, like I just got a really long relationship and I'm not dating by right now. I was like, you told me that. Yeah. I think that sometimes people aren't sure what being too pushy might look like yeah. uh, when they're trying to flirt with or pursue someone. We've talked a couple times about situations in which there's a power differential. Yeah. Some other examples of that other than like the workplace involve significant age differences maybe. I don't think – I think that, you know, as long as everyone is a consenting adult, like it's totally fine to date or whatever anybody of any age – 18 and above, but there is something to be said about like an 18 year old young woman being pursued by like a 50 year old person, because I feel like the difference in life experience is such that it causes an imbalance of power between the two parties. So, you know, an 18 year old isn't going to have the kind of sex education and societal education and you know, life experience. life experience, consent, knowledge, like that someone of a significantly higher age would. So you just need to be aware of these kinds of power differentials that exist in the world, yeah. whether or not they're just and fair, you know, men have more power than women. It's just a fact in America. And 
white people have more power than black people and all of these other issues. So I think it's important to just try to treat everybody with respect as best you can. And that's definitely important when it comes to like flirting and pursuing people. I feel like I'm definitely missing some of the obvious because I'm trying to think of other times where it's not as acceptable or as a bad idea to be pursuing somebody. But I'm drawing a blank right now. Is there anything else that you can think of? I think it could be tricky with coworkers. Yes. Um, because if you do date, there is workplace potentially drama. Maybe you have to keep your relationship a secret, especially if you're polyamorous and they know you're already married or something like that. Yeah. That's a whole different issue. As well as if the relationship ends, then you're stuck working together. Yeah. And that can be uh, really toxic because you might need space from each other. And at work, you can't get that. Definitely. Well, I think we covered a lot of great grounds. Is there anything that you want to say in closing before we end this segment? Be bold, shoot your shot, but respect people while you do it. That's a great summary. I don't think I can do it any better. <laughs> uh, thanks, Elizabeth. Mm -hmm. And up next will be another segment. All right. And now on to our next segment, uh, Relationship Amateur Hour. Woo! So it's going to be me and Elizabeth again. Hello. Uh, so we're calling this Relationship Amateur Hour because you and I are not professionals in the sense that like we don't, we're not counselors, we're not, not medical professionals, mm -hmm. therapists, anything like that. So all of our opinions and everything are based on our own experiences and what we feel like uh, would be useful answers. Yes. So take everything we say with. Uh, whatever caution you feel like that deserves. Uh, so we have a few questions. You want me to start or you want to start? Uh, you have them in your hand. You go ahead. All right. Uh, so the first question we have is, what are your tips for dealing with a monogamous metamor? So, That's a big one. Yeah, that, that is a big one. Uh, so to give people a little bit of background, because maybe some people will be surprised to hear that polyamorous people would date, date monogamous, monogamous people. people. Yeah. But they do actually pretty frequently. Um, yeah. I've seen lots of monogamous poly couples. Just because you're monogamous doesn't necessarily mean that you want to change what your partner does. Yeah. Um, some monogamous people are perfectly happy just dating one person, and then that, that one person can potentially date other people. And some polyamorous people feel comfortable being monogamous relationships for periods of time or that's true. You know, I've for done the foreseeable that. Yeah. future. I know mm -hmm. plenty of people who are very in, like into their relationship with a monogamous partner. And even though they identify as polyamorous, it's either that desire to or practice of. And so it can be one or the other. You can yeah. just uh, feel like you are capable of having multiple relationships and identify as polyamorous. I think it's kind of like being bisexual. You can be bisexual, but in a relationship with a single person of any gender, you know, like definitely. So just because you're in a relationship with a particular person doesn't make you not bi or not poly. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, so back to the question, what are the tips we have for dealing with a monogamous metamor? I think step one would be making sure, you know, just like with any relationship, make sure that you are, you know, you have good, clear boundaries. Yeah. That you set up time to negotiate your relationship. Yeah. 
it's possible they might not want anything to do with you. And that's okay. You know, you don't have to be best friends with every metamorph. Yes. Um, you really don't. And you're allowed to have boundaries and you're allowed to limit the number of even friends in your life and and partners. And so you don't have to, you know, push yourself farther than you want to. But if you have a monogamous metamorph, one thing I would say is upfront, very quickly, communicate how much you want to be involved in each other's lives or yes. how much you want to, do you want to be Facebook friends? Do you want to text each other? Do you want to hang out? Do you want to never see each other? All those are legitimate options. Yeah, I think if you, unless you're, highly invested in having a don't ask, don't tell relationship that you request or make a demand to meet them at least once. You know, it helps humanize, you know, yourself and your metamor. It does. Uh, your metamor would be your partner's partner for people who aren't uh, sure about what we mean by that word. Yep. So a lot of the work is going to be done by your partner in an ideal world. True. And, you know, so having good establish relationship uh, boundaries with that partner is more what I was kind of referencing earlier. Not as much, you know, don't don't let your partner dictate a lot of the work, uh, emotional labor to be done by yourself. If they want to date multiple people, I think it's fair to take the responsibility of having some of that responsibility for the emotional labor. It doesn't mean that you don't have to have any sort of help with it. It doesn't mean that you can't talk about it but if somebody is saying oh this is your problem yeah deal with it that would be a relationship for me i would step out of yeah me too for sure so outside of setting up healthy boundaries are there other recommendations you feel like you would have other than the boundaries and the clear communication especially right up front those are really the bare basics that you need to sketch out what kind of dynamic you want with your metamor. Yeah. And it, you know, metamors can be best friends. Yeah. And they can be housemates and they can be many things together, but they don't have to be. And it's okay to have space from your metamor. It's okay not to want to be friends with your metamor. And there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Two of my, uh, one of my past relationships and one of my current relationships while I was dating them at the same time, they would talk very often, at least weekly and chit chat. Yeah. I provided good insight into living with me and being in a relationship with me. I have heard word from them both that occasionally they would check in and be like, hey, is this normal for Kevin? Right. Because one of them had been dating me for a few months <laughs> and the other had been dating me for several years. Yeah. And so they had a little better understanding of like, oh, no, that's normal for Kevin. Yeah, you can you exactly. Know, that, that'll be something that will probably be around a uh, behavior that will be around for longer yeah. than you are. So, you know, that's something to be uh, considerate yeah. of. Yeah. Metamors can be amazing allies. They really can. Yes. They can be great resources. They can be great insight, like you said, um, into your partner. It's amazing what you can learn from someone who's spent time with your partner in a different setting. Yep. So. Uh, it's one of those things where uh, it can be very, very fun to team up against uh, your you know shared partner at yes. times you know at least jokingly to like joke around and yeah. uh you know have fun at their expense a little bit as long as it's not mean or yeah yeah as long as it's all above board <laughs> yes uh so other than that i would say for me when i i i don't spend a lot of time thinking about my metamors to be honest um because i do a lot of work in partner selection and yeah. my ethos is very much one of i'm not here to control other people's behaviors or relationships 
And so if I'm very unhappy with my metamor and I make that clear to my partner in a way that doesn't make them feel pressured, but understand uh, that it's a deal breaker for me if things don't change. Yeah. Then the only thing I can really do outside of that, you know, I'm not going to sit outside and yell and scream at somebody or get into fight with somebody. I'm just going to break up with the person who I'm dating if I'm not getting along with their monogamous metamor. Yeah. It can be tricky. It really can. It's possible that the monogamous metamor might feel threatened or like they might be replaced or yeah. they might be envious of the time you spend together. So that's why I think the communication is so important because maybe they don't want to see you with their partner. Maybe they do, you and know? All these, like, outside of the fact that we're saying it's a monogamous metamor, yeah. all these are normal for yeah. every poly person, yeah. every person in a polyamorous relationship. Yeah. So it extends to the those monogamous people that are dating a polyamorous person who is dating someone else. Yeah. One other thing I would say is if you want to be supportive of your monogamous metamor, encourage them to build strong friendships and uh, pursue their own hobbies. Yes. Because when your partner is away, you know, don't waste time pining over them. They'll be back. Go do something fun that they don't like. Go see a horror movie. Go play putt-putt. Like, go dancing, you know? Go And set play. it up ahead of time. Yeah, set it up ahead of time for sure. Go do D&D. Like, distract yourself. Enjoy yeah. yourself. And I very much believe in that, whether you're monogamous or poly. So for people who don't know, D&D is uh, Dungeons & Dragons. <laughs> it's a tabletop role-playing game. Google it when yeah, you get home. Google it. <laughs> All right. Uh, do you anything else that you want to share on that topic? I, I feel like a lot of it is along the same lines of any other polyamorous relationship. And so any of our other advice would be completely applicable yeah. to this scenario. Communicate, outside of, boundaries, space. Yeah, outside of like telling your part, you know, you can't tell your monogamous metamor to go like date someone else to yeah. try to fill needs that may not be met. But outside of that, I feel like you're kind of in the same boat as you would be otherwise. Yeah, for sure. So the next question I got here are, what are some of the key questions to ask yourself before pulling the plug on the relationship? Okay, so a big one for me is whether or not I feel drained or energized by that person. For me, it's super black and white. I mean, it's a spectrum, but there's a middle. And on one side, people drain me. And on the other side, they energize me. So... If my partners are draining me, it's probably not compatible. I need people around me who give me life and yeah. who support me in energy ways and in all other ways. So for me personally, it's not personal. It's not bad blood. And that applies to friendships too. And pets and, you know, coworkers. Like you don't have to spend time around people necessarily if they drain you. And so that applies to relationships too, for sure. I feel like I'm a terrible person to ask this because I feel like I always stay in relationships for way too long. So my, my key things would be ask any questions that you feel are important, not only of yourself, but also of your partner and try to bring them into an understanding of what are your needs? How are you feeling? Yeah. And I think a lot of it is similar to Elizabeth. You know, for me, I am someone who... I'm very affected by my partners and like, so emotionally I feed off of them or like, you know, can create positive or negative feedback loops. And it's important for me to try to partner select for people who understand me, 
understand what I'm about, share my same values, and that on the whole, when I look at the sum of a month, that, you know, there's at least been a break even of like good and bad times. Yeah. There need to, for me, at least be 50% or more of good yeah. times. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, because relationships aren't, you know, I'm not a fair weather relationship person. Yeah. I don't think you are no. either. And so we're not trying to say only date people if it's only positive experiences no. 100% of the time. Yeah. But people who are willing to step up to bat for you and take care of you, as well as like people who allow you to take care of them in ways that uh, benefit the both of you. Absolutely. In my opinion, a relationship should be mutually beneficial, any kind of relationship. Definitely. Anything else that you'd like to add to uh, that last question? Let's hear the question one more time. Uh, what are some key questions to ask yourself before pulling the plug on a relationship? Do I feel like I'm threatened? Yeah. Do I feel safe and secure? Do I feel happy outside of uh, my time with them, mm. but only unhappy around them? Mm, those because, are great questions. <laughs> yeah, only feeling unhappy all the time could be a sign of depression or yes. other mental health problems. True. Um, but only being depressed around one specific person could mean a relationship problem that's solvable. It could be a incompatibility between the two of you. Exactly. That's true. Some people just bring you down in ways that you don't need. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, anything else that you feel like would be important to add to that? You know, I have to say, like, relationships can be flexible. Yes. I've had people, long-term relationships that I've broken up with and got back together with years later. And, you know, the relationship is different. It's always going to change. But um, you don't have to feel pressured into dating everybody all the time, you know, like, just pick and choose the people that energize you and who support you and who share your goals. Yeah. And that's really all you have to do. So if if those things aren't met, though, and if you don't feel energized and if you don't feel inspired and if you don't feel comfortable in the relationship, then maybe it's time to take a break, at least. Yeah. Yeah. One thing I try to do, although I don't do it very well, is like pull outside of myself and try to third person think about my situation as objectively as I can. Yeah. You know, we're subjective beasts. We are always experiencing everything all around us. But do what you can to pull yourself third person and think about if your friend presented you with the problems you're being presented with, um, would you tell that person to break up? Exactly. Would you tell that person to try to find a solution? You know, what would you your advice be to someone else? I always see people treating their friends way better than they treat themselves. Yeah, absolutely. So treat yourself as well as you treat others. Yeah. All right. Um, well, I think that wraps it up for these two questions. Uh, we'll be back for another Relationship Amateur Hour next episode. All right. Sounds good. You can find us on Twitter, through email, or on Reddit. To submit your questions or to recommend topics, please reach out to our contact info in the show notes. This episode was edited by Jordan Davis. Music is by Antilude and logo designed by Carmen Bolden.